<laughs> Quit flexing. You're scaring yeah. all the chicks away. Hey everybody, it's Aaron from Coraline Sporting Goods, and welcome to episode two of Hunt Hard Talk Free. This episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company of Canada, some of the best coffee grounds out there. Um, on this episode, we've got Nathan Austin of Yukon Peak Outfitters, and uh, he's got quite the stories to tell us, so let's uh, get this ball rolling. You two have been have known each other since high school and been hunting partners forever. Is that is that a pretty much statement? just out of high school for you, eh? I mm -hmm. I'm quite a bit older than Nathan. <clears throat> yeah. More yep. mature, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, we've been yeah, I think we've been sheep hunting. Our first sheep hunt was two thousand and four, mm -hmm. I think is what it was. Yeah. So yeah, many our moons. Our first year we sheep hunted um not not together, and then our second year we started sheep hunting together and then it's just sort of blossomed from, from there. there yeah. And pretty much all of our sheep hunts have been together for you know the duration we've pretty much been on almost every round we've uh, each other's been on the other yeah. person's been there so yeah we both are sitting on three quarter slams that we were both single rams so we you know i shot the first big horn nathan packed it out for me i paid back the favor later in life he did a big horn hunt back and forth that way yeah and i think yeah the first ram i killed was with you yeah we both we archery killed rams mm -hmm. that year that's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For the first one, hey? Way to start it off. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. No, and then it's, yeah, like I say, I've been working in the gun world and doing all that, and Nathan does a lot of the uh, the guiding and outfitting on the other side and has evolved into that. So, awesome. Yeah. So how long have you been guiding and outfitting? <clears throat> um, been guiding for eight years. I worked for Stan and Helen Stevens in the Northwest Territories. Um, it's been... It's just been an amazing experience. My brother, uh, same thing. We both work for Stan and Helen. And, um, yeah, so now this year, um, Rob has an opportunity to run an area in the Yukon in the southwest corner, um, Yukon Peak Outfitters. So both of us are making the move west out to the Yukon and trying our hand out there. So. And just so the listeners know, who's Rob? Rob's my brother. And how long has he been guiding? Same amount of time as I have. Um yeah, we started, I started one year before Rob. Other than that, everything's about about the same. So, yeah, yeah. he's been doing it just as long as I have. And, uh, yeah, so we're just kind of starting the next chapter of our life. And, yeah, we're super excited about it. So And tell us about the company, Yukon Peak Outfitters. Um, is it been around for a while, just brand new? Give, give us no, a little rundown. Uh, so Yukon Peak Outfitters was formerly uh, Kalani Outfitters. Um, the Olmstead family ran it. And... Um, yeah, so it's located um, right in the very southwest corner of the Yukon. And actually, Greg and I, we've hunted in the northwest corner of BC, and it's um, literally just just on the north border of, of where me and Greg have hunted um, a few different times. So Alaska is the border to the west. BC is the border to the south. It's tucked right in the corner. It's been, a, um, I think, a really good, really underutilized area for a long time. So yeah. um, there's a lot of diversity there. It's, it's hard to access. Um, so I think it's been a great a, a great opportunity for us. So, and when it comes to Yukon Peak, is the focus specifically on rams, or do they offer a variety of hunts? Um, I think the the biggest part's going to be sheep hunts and moose hunts. That's that's where that's where most of our allocation sits. We we also have there's a few caribou allocations. There's a few wood buffalo, and there's uh, five grizzly bear a year, which is which is really good. 
grizzly bear. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something we'll get into here a little bit later about For BC. Sure. But it's, sure. it's interesting that the Yukon still allows grizzly hunts. Is there any word of it getting shut down up no, there? No, uh, as far as I know, it's it's uh, it's not. I think. I think for the most part, the Yukon's had pretty good, um, pretty good allocations compared to, to BC. For us having a, a relatively small area and to have five bears a year be able to take out of it is is huge for us. Whereas guys in BC with similar sized areas in the past would probably only have one, one and a half, two bears a year. Yeah, that yeah. would be their allocation, right? So, yeah. so five's five's really good. Yeah, five you can make a difference, right? And yeah. probably coming yeah. from an area with a less concentration of bears with a higher allocation. So the harvest, mm-hmm. you know, compared to BC, who has a very good sustainable population of bears, mm-hmm. and they really strangle the amount allocated to the outfitters mm-hmm. too, or have been. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll loop back around to bears, but uh, back to Yukon Peak. Mm-hmm. Um, how many guides are there within the company? There's probably going to be... Um, Throughout the course of the year, there's going to be about four guides um, and probably three to four wranglers. So um, so we have um, backpack hunts and horse hunts. Um, I'm not a horse guy, one bit. So <laughs> I'll be doing backpack hunts. Um, so the start of our season, my, me and my friend Gary Crookshank will be doing backpack hunts. And my brother Rob and Stevie Hansen will be doing the horse hunts. And then they're both going to have their own wranglers going with them so that's awesome yeah and what's it like for booking right now are you guys getting pretty booked up if someone's looking for this fall are there still openings uh or? this fall would be probably extremely unlikely at this point to to get an opening um most most good reputable outfitters are going to be booked up two to three years in advance depending on the type of hunt you're looking for so yeah yeah if you're wanting to book a sheep hunt for this fall your chances are pretty slim. It's <laughs> it's July, so yeah. Like you know, Aaron, you're going to be hunting sheep for yourself in a week, a right? Week. Yeah. So yeah, plan for next year. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And when it comes to, um, you say there's going to be four guides working with you guys, or four of you all together. Mm-hmm. If someone's looking at getting into it as a career, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? What are your recommendations? If if you could give them some wisdom, words of wisdom, what, what would you say? Well, um, I'll break your question up just a little bit. Like yep. I get a lot of people that ask me, um, should I guide? I, you know, a lot of people, they hum and haw on it. My dad's a prime example of a guy that used to live in Cassiar, had an opportunity to guide, never did it. Now he's almost 70, regrets it every day. Um, I think for anybody that is... <clears throat> possibly humming and hawing on it i mean i think you should absolutely go for it um the amount of hunting experience and knowledge you can gain by even one season of guiding is unbelievable like you think of good sheep hunters around around here and and i would say a good sheep hunter probably has maybe five rams they've been in on five ram kills throughout the course of their career you can possibly get that in one guiding season you could get five, that's what we used to guide, five, yeah. six ram hunts a year. Yep. So you're on five, six potential sheep kills a year. That amount of experience alone, I mean, you think about you're constantly watching, observing rams, yep. their behavior. And I mean, even if you only guide for <clears throat> one or two seasons, you're going to be a much better sheep hunter 
um, outside of it because of that. So just how much you learn from the other guys you're with and just the amount of time you spent in the bush. hundred percent, hundred percent. So that experience alone is second to none. And then I think as far as, as yourself, if you're, or, or anybody, anybody young that's wanting to become a guide or a wrangler or something, um, I would say to find, it's, it's a lot like booking a hunt too, in a sense that you should, you know, maybe try to find an outfitter that, that suits your style. Um, like for us, um, in the Northwest Territories, we, we are not a cowboy outfit at all. Like we did hundred percent backpack hunts and we had, we had quite a few cowboy guides come and go. They were one year wonders. And I think they probably would have worked out better in, you know, working for Gaina River, who's strictly a cowboy outfit or something. So I think, I think finding something that Kinda, niche. Yeah, it ticks, ticks all your boxes. If you're not, like me and Greg are not cowboys, so like, yeah. why would we go and work for a horse outfitter? It would be a complete disaster, right? Yeah. yeah. 100%. And <laughs> so yeah, I think I think just finding stuff that, that works for you. I, one thing that was super important to me when I started guiding is I wanted... I wanted hunting opportunities for myself and some outfitters are dead against having their guides do any personal hunting and some outfitters are all for it and and Stan was good with it so like my goal was when I started guiding doll sheep I wanted to eventually take a doll sheep for myself right so that was that was a huge deal breaker for me if Stan wouldn't have been up for that I probably would have shopped around and, and looked for yeah. look for somewhere else to go so yeah. is it common for guides to be hunting during the seat well it's obviously during the season but if you're booked up every week another hunt mm-hmm. do guides take turns and get a week off that they hunt themselves or not so much usually what we would do is um <clears throat> it would usually be near the end of the year whenever or sometimes um like stan's area was really good um, and a lot of times we'd get done our hunts early. Um, and usually we did most of the guide. The guide opportunities were, were always later in the season. Say we're moose hunting and everybody gets tagged out and it's, you know, Greg's year to try to get a ram for himself. Yep. And me and Greg would take off for, you know, three, four days of the of that hunt kind of thing. And yeah, it doesn't look real professional if your guides are out hunting for themselves. It seems like competition against... <laughs> Absolutely. Like you know, clients. so if you come back to camp mm-hmm. and you've got a 40-inch ram yeah. and the guy you mm-hmm. guided before has a 38-inch ram, it's not good PR. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, because there's... They're, you know, you're instantly going to think, well, why didn't we go after that sheep if yeah. it was available? Yeah. Why yeah. is mine small? You know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yep. So you just want to keep it at a personal level and, and just go out on your own. Even like up in the territories, you have to be guided as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So yep. it actually takes two guides <clears throat> yep. to do a hunt. Yep. So there's mm-hmm. got to be some free bodies around to yep. really mm-hmm. take advantage of that. Because, yeah, you've got to be host or guided if you're not a resident at that yep. time, right? Yeah, so, that's right. So it's, it takes a lot of labor. And then again, moving stuff around. Stan's not just going to fly you around and go hunting unless he's got some spare time, right? Right. Yeah. It just kind of has to... It has to work out basically, yeah. yep. as far as your time goes, and uh, and you're also not going to get you're not going to shoot a sheep on your first year guiding for someone. This is this is an added perk that comes with. Like Years for me, I, I got a I got a caribou on my fifth year, and I got a sheep on my sixth year, so that's kind of that's kind of what you can expect. Yeah. Or or not expect depending on who you work for, right? <laughs> yeah. And as long but, as you're putting out hard too. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, know, you got it. The results have to be there. Everything, every like I say, everything has to work out. But that was just a factor for me that I really wanted in an outfit, and 
and yeah, they were amazing for that. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about if you want to get into guiding, what uh, oh, the way to do it. But what about what kind of person does it take to be a guide? You have to be. Um, <clears throat> you have to be completely, completely driven, like, um, like, like Greg or myself are. Like, um, if you're not, you're not going to enjoy it, and you're, and you're going to fail at it. I think a lot of people see the. Um, you you see a lot of pictures of a big ram and a guide behind it and a hunter, and and everybody wants that sort of instant glory that instant satisfaction but n most people don't realize how much energy and work and blood sweat and tears goes into getting to that moment right yeah so if it if if hunting and you know the adventurous part if that doesn't define you as a person um you're you're kind of wasting your time i think yeah yeah it, it really has to be passion number one yeah. for you to get into it and enjoy it and, and do good at it so you put yep. the sweat down and you put a moose down. Once the knives start coming out, I mean, you don't realize how much work is behind the scenes. I mean, yep. after the photos are done, I mean, That's it takes you a full yep. day to cape out, turn ears, lips, <clears throat> eyes, deal with meat, yep. movement of gear, hunters, fix up everything that's broken. I mean, you are on the clock from sunup to sundown, and there's not a lot of... If something isn't done, no one else is doing it for you, mm -hmm. so... Mm -hmm. you've yeah and it's nice you got to be social too you got to be able to work with lots of different people because you never know who's going to land on your lap right what kind of clientele do you normally get everything yeah um <clears throat> we've i've been super blessed um most of our clients have been i'd say probably 85 percent are american and um they've they've been great actually um i i really can't complain about what what we've had i mean you yeah. hear lots of horror stories and and i think a lot of people speculate that it's just a babysitting service but in reality for what we've experienced i think 80 to 90 percent of the hunters are just like i would be going out with yourself aaron or greg and 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 you know you get some people that are and i think it's species related too yeah for um, sure you know you're coming up for a, a moose or a, a sheep caribou you know you're going a long way you're out of the yeah. way you're not booking, uh, you know, <clears throat> say a cost basis, you know, black bear hunt somewhere yeah. where mm -hmm. you're attracting who knows what kind of clientele. These people, like you say, are driven yeah. and motivated to do that hunt. So they're not going to come with a, a bad attitude or anything like that. They're really excited to be there. It's, it's an elite, like, like we discussed on the last podcast, it's kind of the elite high-end hunt that anyone might be able to go out in their backyard and shoot a deer or, yeah. or an antelope if you're in southern Alberta or wherever. But this is one very limited locations and very difficult hunts as far as hunts go, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. that's right. So, so you're getting the, the elite people, hopefully. Yeah, and I mean, that's... Yep. But with elite people, you have people that are... Maybe they're not morning people, right? They don't want to get up till 10 o'clock. <laughs> you know, you have to work within that yep. and try and keep them motivated when the weather's bad and the times aren't great. Maybe you're not seeing animals, they're not moving. Mm -hmm. You just got to keep them motivated and, and moving. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always pretty comfortable around any situation. I mean, yeah. you, you deal with what I do in a day. I talk to a million people. Yeah. You know, you know about guns, you know about optics. You, you have lots of things to talk about, you know, tips to help. Yeah. And then, yeah, stories to go along with it, right? So yeah. 
instantly they feel warmer to you. Yeah. Everything rolls smooth. You know, if the if they get a bad feeling about you as a guide, it isn't going to disappear. Yeah. Right. You know, you yeah. sell yourself, show them what it's about. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Do most clients bring their own firepower, or do you guys supply them with? Yeah, guns pretty or? much. Pretty much, um, all of them have actually. And this year's this year's kind of cool because we got um, Gunworks has actually sponsored the outfit, so we have that gun right there is up at our camp. Uh, six five PRC and also a three hundred mag. So we have two pretty amazing guns that we're gonna, you know, potentially can loan out to hunters or whatever. But for the most part, what I've seen it like it stands. We had a we had like a Camp two seventy and a Camp three hundred, and a lot of times we'd send that with a bow hunter because every bow hunter is exclusively a bow hunter until day four, and then they're a gun hunter, right? So <laughs> when they couldn't get yeah, close enough, so we've. Our, I think our camp guns have been used probably more for either self-defense or for or for bow hunts and turn into gun hunts or or yeah. there's been a few guys um, logistics wise um, I think there's a guy coming to stands from Norway this year and there's a few countries that's hard to get a gun into Canada so. yeah I set up yeah. stand with a gun <clears throat> yeah. exclusively for that yeah it's like I need a good all-around rugged gun again so I set him up with a you know 300 win mag dressed up put an optic on it so that he has another uh, because yeah it's getting harder and harder and then if anything goes wrong yeah. stuff gets lost your mm-hmm. gun will end up getting there but two weeks later yeah so yeah. with that case scenario you better have something better than a cooey laying around for a hunter <laughs> yeah. to go out yeah. with right? yeah. yeah how'd you get hooked up with gunworks that's pretty much um <clears throat> so the guy that owns the area <clears throat> uh is mark peterson um He's he's kind of sponsored by them and and so Rob's Rob's holding the outfitting license right yep. so um, this is basically all kind of through Mark basically okay. so yeah this is a it's just an awesome awesome perk so yeah that that in itself is a bit of a it. it's a bit of a drawing feature for some clientele to know that there are these thousand yard proven guns not that they're going to be shooting sheep at a thousand mm-hmm. yards and we can discuss that in a bit too yeah for sure but you know that the guns are on point doing what they're supposed to do for sure. You're stepping into the best of the best, yeah. realistically. Yeah. And we spent yeah. time behind him when Rob got him. We yep. went out, we dialed him in, shot him with Stevie and Rob, you. Everybody that's going to be everybody there. Everybody that's going to yep. be shot there. Shot the guns, right? Got to nice. learn how yeah. it works. I mean, mm-hmm. don't just send a guy out to the field with a tool that it's all speculation. Yeah. You want to see how it works. You want to make sure it's legitimately ready for those elevation conditions, etc. And, yep. and we did yep. that. Yep. We took him out to... Better than 700 yards and mm-hmm. all through the range and yeah. worked out ideal. Yeah. 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 And when it comes to whether you're trying to get into guide, like we've, we've talked about the guides and about the clientele, mm-hmm. um, is it worth touching off season, getting prepared, training, that sort of thing? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I got to say, I've seen you at the gym and you kill it and you put everyone else in the building to shame because you are just whether it's pictures coming up on social media of the races you're winning because you, you, you didn't you just finish a triathlon a team triathlon mm-hmm. you took second second <laughs> overall yeah first so loser this man is a machine <laughs> he says first loser but he, he he knocks knocks down everybody else in the gym so tell us a, a little bit about your your thoughts on physical prep or off-season training um from i think i think you could ask a lot of different people you get a lot of different answers but for me i think I mean, we're, we're going up and like, we're climbing a mountain here. Like this is not, 
I feel like you have to prepare for this. Yep. I know I know I do. There's a lot of guides that I work with that are, um, I think they get by because of youth and maybe genetics. <laughs> you know, they're, they, they might hike in the off season or... You know they live relatively active lifestyles, but when you're in your when you're in your mid twenties or whatever, you can still kind of accomplish everything. So, yeah. um, like for example, like when me and Greg started hunting together, <laughs> Greg was far superior um, than I was. He absolutely crushed me on my first year of hunting, yeah. and after that year, I was like, "That's not happening anymore." <laughs> so literally, I mean, um, I literally got into pretty much working out after that so so now my 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 off season i'm huge into crossfit i do local competitions i don't have any i don't have any aspirations as going to the crossfit games or anything i use this to to be better at hunting and guiding um i also do kickboxing with cody and lisa mears and then i just recently started doing some small marathon triathlon type stuff as well so I think I think it's extremely extremely important. Um, the more the more work you put in in the off season at the gym, grinding it out, banging it out, is going to make your hunt way way more enjoyable and successful. So yeah. I think for guides, for guides, we're still young, we're still fit, we're still active. But for let, I mean, honestly, these hunts are these hunts are really expensive. So you're, we're not going to book we're not going to book a lot of hunters that are thirty years old, right? We're booking guys yeah. that are. 50 60 70 years old so yeah. they they really need to put the work in in the off season for their hunt to yeah. be enjoyable and successful so yeah. whatever whatever you do i'm not promoting crossfit or kickboxing or anything but whatever you do is going to be ben- more beneficial than doing yeah. nothing yeah. absolutely get out there absolutely yeah 100 yeah. well, now nathan crushes me <laughs> greg is a specimen of, of, of his own than <laughs> yeah, just yeah. natural tough yeah. to keep up with yeah. for anyone else yeah. that isn't nathan yeah but uh, that's awesome. What about mental toughness, grit? Um, are there a lot of people that think they want to do these hunts and then they get there and they're like, can't handle it, can't Absolutely. do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. We probably have, um, I would say, one to two hunts a year um, where people quit. They give up and they go home. And every outfit will attest to this. Mm-hmm. People have, a lot of people, you know, say from the lower 48, especially that don't live on the West they really have almost no idea what they're getting themselves into. And um, always, as guides, we always have quitters. And it's the it's honestly the worst feeling in the world yeah. is coming back to camp with a quitter. You've, um, I don't know, there's not a lot you can do. Like we've, you're, you're kind of uh, trying to be an ego booster as, yeah. as well as a guide. There's, you're you're there's, cheerleading. There's a million different yeah. things. And, and another uh, really interesting thing that, that I, that's worked for me because I'm not a great people person. I have, I'm really short with people. And um, I think I expect a lot out of my hunters. Like Greg has phenomenal people skills. I don't, I don't have that skill set. Not at all. Yeah. So one thing that has really saved my hunt, I'll just touch briefly on it, is uh, either sheep hunts or moose hunts i've had numerous times where i've had hunters that were almost ready to quit and honestly what saved the hunt was caribou caribou saved the hunt we had a caribou tag you know we have a guy that quit the day before on a sheep comes down the mountain wants to get picked up wants to go home and 
next day, clippity-clop, here comes a caribou through camp or close to camp. He shoots it. His, um, you know, his ego's boosted. His self-esteem's up. Yeah. I've probably had that happen five or six times. Mm. And honestly, you, you wouldn't think it, but five or six times that caribou has saved the, the, the ultimately the course of our whole hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And we've went on to kill a sheep and a moose or whatever because of that caribou. Yeah. It's crazy. The stepping stone. Eh? It's crazy That's... to think. And that and that just shows you, like, they, they always could physically do it. They yeah. just all of a sudden we're just they got thrown to the wolves their first day and we're like man i didn't know it was going to be like this they get the 50 pound pack on and they're heading up the mountain and yeah didn't prepare for it didn't prepare for yeah. it and yeah and and all of a sudden they're they're done and then the next day they're they're not done all of a sudden maybe maybe i can do this yeah you know so yeah it's really interesting something yeah. you wouldn't think of but so you need the physical pre-season prep to mm -hmm. be ready for it but you also yeah. need to have that mental grit or toughness for sure. to for sure to be able to get and i think it. the a, a lot of people a lot of people that are out of shape always tell me how mentally tough they are and i'm like <laughs> you you better be mentally tough then like yeah. the, the more physically fit you are you don't have to be as mentally tough yeah. but if you're if you're way out of shape or whatever your deal is man you got to be like you gotta be like Charles Xavier upstairs, man, <laughs> right? You got to be on another level mentally. Um, yeah. So, yeah, show up in shape yeah. and your hunt will be better, bottom line. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <clears throat> so what are your thoughts on, um, we see it on social media a lot, we see it in the news. What are your thoughts on sustenance hunting versus trophy hunting? Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, probably almost more of a meat hunter personally than I am a trophy hunter. Yep. Um, a lot of it's just cause I live a, a super healthy lifestyle. So I try to eat, I try to eat every, like my meat is pretty much all organic. I would, I would say it's all wild. Um, but I mean, trophy hunting, trophy hunting gets a bad rap. I mean, trophy hunting's not, trophy hunting is not cutting the head off and, um, strapping on your back and, walking back to camp right that's that's how it's perceived but that's not at all what it's like i mean trophy hunting is trophy hunting's taking an animal that's past his prime um harvesting it he's done he's done contributing everything that he can to to his to the species. genetics and the species yeah and uh, like greg touched on it a little bit on the, your guys first podcast of the you know um Sheep are the one thing we can use in as example because we know exactly how old they are, right? We don't know exactly how old the caribou is we took. We have we have ways of there's indicators. There's indicators of yeah, mane colors. It's and maybe things like six. That. It's maybe nine. It's yeah. it's got a really white cape, so it's probably mature. But with sheep, I mean, we can be like, yeah, that's an eight year old ram. That's seven. That's ten, sort of thing. And 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 Greg touched on it perfectly. Like you know, you taking those rams that are. Um, preferably even older than eight is better like if if in the territories the age average goes up um significantly and that's just a result of less hunting pressure than we have in bc so bc we're gonna have uh an age average of probably eight years old on rams killed and then the territories it's gonna be probably ten and a half so yeah. um those rams that are in ten and a half plus they're absolutely in their bonus years they're not the the likelihood of them breeding anymore is is pretty slim at that age so yeah there's it, it's it's absolutely important to take that and and again we're we're utilizing every part of the animal yeah um 
So if that's what trophy hunting is, then I'm proud to call myself a trophy hunter. So the the older it's not you're looking at trophy hunting not as you're not just going out shooting an animal to hang the head on the wall Mm -hmm. you're looking at you're leaving the young males of whatever species it is to continue to repopulate and build the herds up and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing and you're taking the elderly that are no longer contributing to the herds and they may kick off in the next year or two anyways natural mortality is going to get them yeah hundred percent yeah so that yes they are larger they are the nicer trophy on the wall Mm -hmm. but it's allowing those younger ones to continue to grow the species and stuff. Yeah, so it's, it's more sustainable if you're taking the big ones mm-hmm. instead of going in and wiping out all the eight-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And not a lot of the rams that you take that are like 15-year-old rams often get taken. They're actually not the cranker rams typically you would think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're usually a, a smaller ram altogether and you know, just kind of limp through. And yeah. those really big rams that you see really peak at nine and 10 years old, those ones just go so hard that they just kill themselves. You never see it like, mm-hmm. you never see a fifteen-year-old just <clears throat> forty-nine-inch ram. ram. No, yeah. it's crazy. You'd yeah, think you would, but it, Greg's right, and I don't know why that is in a lot of ways. But yeah, a lot of the biggest rams we've taken are, you know, probably anywhere from you know maybe nine and nine to eleven, kind of in that range. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they just don't seem to they don't seem to survive past that naturally on their own. Yeah. So. But, you know, Greg's 100% right on that. Yeah, and as as far as trophies go, you think of what you perceive as your trophy. You think of your first buck. That's the best trophy you have. Your Mm -hmm. first ram, best trophy you have. Mm -hmm. Guarantee you it's not the biggest. Mm -hmm. Guarantee you didn't, you know, pass up other ones to take a bigger one, right? Yeah. So the perception of trophy, whose trophy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I still have my first little little fruit basket whitetail hanging in the garage absolutely and that one will always be there Mm -hmm. yeah and did you utilize everything from it oh yeah absolutely you know um, Mm -hmm. the you know what you take back from the hunt you know it all adds up a trophy's Mm -hmm. a trophy it's a moment in your life when you got third place in a race you kept your ribbon yeah you know no one one complains about that you're seeking a trophy in that sense it's a personal achievement Mm -hmm. yeah so hunting has a bonus yeah meat and Meat, hiking, outdoor lifestyle, everything to go along with it. And if it floats your boat, yeah, trophy hunter through and through then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Along with that, what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. um, hunting as it's portrayed through social media or possibly the effects of social media on hunting? I'm, um, <clears throat> I'm super new with social media. So I, I pretty much got social media like six months ago. And... I wasn't a huge fan of it um, in the hunting world, and I'm I, I kind of a I've kind of more used it just to get out of my shell and get in touch with the world, so to speak. I think I think as far as it goes with hunting, it's here now. It's here to stay. As far as social media and hunting mix, it's it's really not going anywhere. Yeah. Um. I think I think it's just it's really up to us as hunters to 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 put out to put the right things out there. Um. Because let's be honest, like if you're if you're an anti-hunter, you you almost can't go on social media now with without seeing a hunting photo somewhere along yeah. the lines, right? Yeah. So so I think for us, uh, like we, we we were talking about a little bit before, is you know instead of having a instead of having a sh- a sheep head on the outside of your pack, like let's have let's have a moose quarter hanging out of our pack. Let's do a, I think let's just do a better job of of 
you know, promoting this um, so that, you know, like not everybody's going to approve of hunting, but I think if we do a better job of um, why we hunt and and the whole experience behind it, I think people are, would be a lot more understanding in the future on, oh, that is pretty cool. They actually use, they actually use everything from that animal. That's really cool. Yep. That's really cool. I thought they just cut the head off and walked away or, um, and, and there's certain things like, um, predators are a super touchy subject like you see on social media like Cecil the lion if, if that thing had never made social media it probably wouldn't have exploded the way it did yeah. those are those are real touchy like a, a moose that you eat and use nobody seems to care but man if there's a dead cougar or a dead bear like um, they're super important to hunt those animals and manage those animals but it's also I think we just have to be really careful of how we put that out there and yep. you know making yep. sure we're doing it for the right reasons and yep. and we can attract more people that that aren't into our sport so i had a customer in the store that we were talking <laughs> about when did the when did hunting get a negative spin and it seems to go all the way back to we we can thank walt disney for bambi mm-hmm. <laughs> and <clears throat> from that movie on is when the hunter is seen as that the bad guy that's just out <clears throat> driving the back roads swigging beer and shooting everything that moves kind right, of thing right and I think with social media, with um, the presence of people like Joe Rogan or Steve Rinella, um, those those are the types of people that are putting a positive spin back on it, mm-hmm. showing that they are sustenance hunting. They're, they're utilizing the animal yeah. and uh, show that it's not just about mm-hmm. killing. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's the hunt. And I mean, when people are smiling in the picture with their kill, it's not hey, look, I killed something, I'm happy. No. It's, I've worked the last six months hitting the gym hard, hiking the mountain, and I've outsmarted this animal and it's natural. Mm-hmm. They've got way better sight than we do. They've got way better sense of smell. Mm-hmm. Like, they should be able to dominate us yeah. in their surroundings. Yeah. And yeah. it's just all the hard effort that you've put in mm-hmm. um, paid off. Absolutely. And that's what we're happy about as, yeah. as, as hunters. Yeah. So I think with a lot of these big figures in social media that are pro-hunters, there's a lot of positivity coming off of it for sure. Um, but there's definitely a, a bunch of mm-hmm. negative things that come yeah. up too, where people are, yeah. are trying to rub they're it in the anti hunters. They're and, shopping for the one photo yeah. that to they trigger. can just trash a hunter <laughs> yeah. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. which is another thing, you know, if you're going to post it on social media, the world is going to see it. Yeah. Anyone and everyone. So yeah. 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 Why would you, you know, pull certain pictures, even if it is a hundred percent legal, you're well within your rights to yep. harvest that mm-hmm. animal or this and that. You can share it within your circle, but remember the world can end up seeing everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do our sport a favor. And the other thing too is I mean, as hunters, I mean people think that we just take, 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 take. Because we're killing animals, this furthest mm-hmm. thing from the truth. Yeah. Hunters, I mean, across North America contribute so much of their income time you know we're responsible for a lot of the counts and studies and and just input of for chronics wasting bringing heads to the table you know yep. for examination isolating areas <laughs> all of our all the rams that we've harvested or everyone's harvested over the years have basically blueprinted a dna spectrum on the genetic differences between herds of sheep in different areas yep. so you know um you know, it's countless things like that through our compulsory inspections and yep. things like that. So the database and the science based, which 
everything should be based on is the science aspect for numbers and how many allocations and everything it should be that not on a gut reaction to a social media post that grizzly bears are endangered which mm-hmm. isn't really the cons- you know yeah. the truth right mm-hmm. which which we'll get to in just yeah. just a moment mm-hmm. um i like the the path we're going on right here and i'm looking at you're wearing a wild sheep society bc t-shirt mm-hmm. and sheep hunters a, a lot of them locally are members of the wild sheep society yep. and what do organizations like this do for giving back to nature mm-hmm. well prescribed burns uh buying up lands or keeping domestic sheep away from herds mm-hmm. like basically you know the yeah the mackenzie mountains and things like that they i just read from a wild sheep post here the other day that they banned basically all goat and sheep out of the Mackenzie's and what's the other mountain system up there? The, no, the Rankins or another small chain up there. There is no domestic sheep or goats allowed within that area period. So they have banned it because of the transfer of, uh, domestic disease into the sheep. It would decimate that sheep population. It'd be like Mm -hmm. smallpox when we landed here. (laughs) You know, that's, that's the kind of catastrophic results that can happen from someone who just decides that they have four sheep and they get out or they live on the edge of a, you know, a mountain range and the sheep come down, they transfer that, uh, a lot of the pneumonia type Mm -hmm. strains to them. MOV, I do believe is what it is. A lot of that. Mm -hmm. And it will just crush that wild sheep population. Yeah. yeah. There's a new nonprofit that has been around for a couple months here and it's somewhat tied into wild sheep, but it's one campfire. I don't know if you've heard of it yet, but it's, uh, it's kind of crossing these bridges that we're talking about. It's trying to bring everybody from the, the hunting world to the, could be, we could call it granola, vegan outdoor enthusiasts and everyone in between and showing that no matter what, we all sit around one campfire. We're all coming back to a campfire. And no matter what you're doing out there, we need to work together to protect the species, protect the environment, mm-hmm. work together, and not fight each other, which yeah. is what's happening on social media. And you, and you get groups like PETA that are pushing hard mm-hmm. on one aspect. And if you kind of agree with it, you can jump on board with that. Right. And then you got the other people that are like, oh, well, we'll use that PETA image over our, we just take take pictures, not animals or whatever, and put that on our hunting photos and Mm -hmm. so we have our polar extremes that are battling it out Mm -hmm. and groups like one campfire which uh their whole focus is guys don't don't fight about it let's all work get back together and focus on Mm -hmm. what we need to fix and and so we can all enjoy the outdoors and our kids will be able to uh down the road equal opportunity i mean Mm -hmm. that's what it boils down to i mean we don't leave a big footprint out there i mean no we we don't you move in you move out you scout you're not taking or you're not paving roads into these places i mean you are you want that wild simple as that Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's where that's and that's the attraction right Mm -hmm. yeah and along with all the the social media i've I've been doing so much prep for this sheep hunt going online doing all sorts of research looking up gear lists looking up whatever i can maps spent so much time on google earth it's would blow your mind Mm -hmm. just zooming in looking at stuff looking for sheep like you i swear i can (laughs) see is there a photo of a sheep (laughs) but along with that i've come across quite a few sheep hunting forums that um some are closed groups some are open groups and guys are getting on there and sharing information about sheep hunting where to go what to take and there's some people that are even putting gps locations on there which uh, you talk to guys that have put in 20 30 years 
to map out areas to figure out where they want to hunt and then someone just puts a pin on a mm-hmm. map and puts it out there for the world um what, what are your thoughts on these these groups and forums and stuff like that for sheep hunting i think you have to take all that stuff with a grain of salt um for myself like i'm not i'm not giving anybody a pin drop i don't really care who they are man it, it took years to figure this spot out or this spot out about the only time i would give someone um an x on the map so to speak is if it was a an leh area and particularly a hard draw area to get i would i would be inclined to help somebody with stuff like that but but as for um as far as general open season area goes i'm i'm friends with a lot of the outfitters that areas i've hunted in their areas i'm not i'm not giving them i'm not giving them anybody Sorry, Aaron. Sorry, my phone was vibrating in the background <laughs> there. Had to shut that down. Yeah, so I think I think that stuff you got to take with a grain of salt. Um, you can get, um, you can get good pointers on forums. You know, like I, I've, I, I remember one guy was talking about. I don't spend much time on forums either, Aaron. But one guy was talking about an old sheep guide that he killed. Um, I think it was eighty percent of his rams on south facing slopes. So that's a that's a super good pointer, right? Yeah. It doesn't always work that way. I've killed rams on north and south slopes, yeah. but but you think south, okay, that's a that's a good place to start. Yeah. So maybe from south you can go and see on Google Earth you can see a creek in the bottom, you can see cliffs for escape routes, you can see yeah. you can see grass for food and you have everything that a ram needs and and go from there but yep. as far as as far as the other stuff goes uh i think you're better off to do your own legwork on that one old school yeah. absolutely <laughs> well, absolutely and then, get out there there's and then so much who, bs on that stuff though. who is behind the curtain right yeah everybody is an expert when there's no accountability to it yeah 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 and i can tell you like from like our say our hunting in the far northwest or northeast corner of bc I could put an X on the map of every single sheep that I've seen in that area. Yeah. And not one time have I been back in there and that X was overlapped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've never occurred in the same, and that's the same time of year, mm-hmm. you know, just different conditions, weather patterns, things like that. Yeah. The sheep are not there. Mm-hmm. So I could draw you 50 X's on the map. You'll walk in there and it's a desert. There's nothing there. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we walked into a valley on our second time in there or whatever you know just on speculation we'd been in there before and seen game and in in decent number we rolled into there what did we see i think we seen a porcupine and a grizzly bear in the whole time in this valley that's it yeah nothing was there mm-hmm. was it a good area to go look absolutely mm-hmm. you can find out if there's a sheep in there or not spend four hours and climb in there because yeah. that's how it works mm-hmm. um yeah i have a hard time with you know you as you grow and, and talk to people, I mean, here in the store, for instance, I mean, I, I get to discuss all sorts of things. I mean, everybody's got a hunting story and everything like that. Information is shared or stories told about areas and things like that. But the first thing and the last thing I'll do is ask you where you shot it or where you were or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I want to enjoy the story you're going to tell me. And if you say, yeah, I was hunting in Region 7, you know, it was a stone sheep. I'll say, right on. Good work. North, you know right on that's awesome mm-hmm. but don't pry for information because it puts a it puts a guy in an awkward spot yeah mm-hmm. give a guy like i say tips on gear yeah strategies or maybe you know where to look to, for rams where right? to look for rams or yeah. you know the travel route going in there or whatever you can give a guy a little heads up and say hey yeah there's you know there's, there's an old here. mining trail yeah. that goes in on the back there take advantage of that but once you get to kilometer 10 you're on your own because it's grown in now yeah mm-hmm. But at least, you know, 
here's what, you know, maybe you can take a cart in with you to this area, you know, for a partial weight so that if you get overburdened with stuff, you can load it on your cart and it's easier to pack. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, where they wouldn't know that they could take a cart 10K in. Yeah. Because, you know, how do you know what kind of condition the trail is or access? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. You got to, everyone's willing to share some good information, but X is on the map. Keep that to yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In all your time in the backcountry, have you had much for run-ins with grizzlies? Absolutely. Absolutely. Where do you want to start? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you used to guide in BC before you were in Yukon? No, Always always, in Yukon. Always in Northwest Territories. Oh, okay. Yukon's a new thing this year. Yeah. 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 So I've, um, for one, I think I think grizzly bears are probably my next to sheep. They're probably my second favorite animal to hunt. Absolutely love hunting them. Um, they're kind of an animal that personally has had my. They're like my Achilles heel. I've taken one really good grizzly bear my whole life. I've had probably five tags. Like they've oh, just wow. yeah they've they've just given me run for your money. Oh nightmares yeah, yeah. nightmares. Um, and then as far as problems go, like um, we had um, we had two two attacks in the Northwest Territories when I when I was guiding there. One was one was fatal. Uh, one of our hunters got killed. The following year, another one of our hunters got mauled. Um, and like on a side note, like grizzly bears have been protected for about twenty years in the Northwest Territories. Yep. Um, and it's not because of lack of grizzly bears. There's a lot of our moose hunts will see more grizzly bears than we'll see moose. Um, hmm. So it's it's completely political, just like it is in BC right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, residents have the option of a one. Residents can one take one in a lifetime. One in a lifetime. In a lifetime. Yeah. In the Northwest Territories. Wow. And in the Yukon, I think they can a resident can take a bear every three years. They don't have an LEH on their grizzlies there, like like we had, but yeah. you can buy a tag every three years and take one basically yeah. wherever you want, right? So yep. you'd say numbers are pretty healthy when it comes to grizzlies. Absolutely. And it's strictly political. Absolutely. The bands and stuff 100%, like that. 100%. People link them to teddy bears and big fluffy creatures that... Mm-hmm. Just eat grass. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, predators are... Yeah. Predators in general are... I don't know. I don't know what it is. They're super sensitive, but they're... Um, just like anything they have to be... They have to be managed and... Yeah. I don't know. For us, I'm super excited about... Um, a five grizzly bear year quota that's yep. that's awesome that's awesome i mean think of the you know that could be that could be 30 40 moose calves a year more in our area yep caribou you know what whatever else right and not to mention the the revenue that it brings to to the outfit right so yeah it's it's huge it's huge i'm super super thankful and blessed that we have that i just i just wish we you know i wonder I wonder if things would have been different if we had it in the Northwest Territories. If those if those attacks would have would have still happened, it, it's so hard to say, right? So. It's hard to say, but you know, if you're working an outfit all the time <clears throat> and in an area, a lot of the bears you're end up going to encounter are problem bears. Mm-hmm. You know, those bears like you know different areas like up north there. I mean, I haven't spent extended time guiding up in the territories. I'm you know relatively small scale compared to what Nathan has done. Yeah, but there's areas where you know there's there's a boar in that valley that can be a nuisance. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. and he's back in that valley the next year. I mean, bears mm-hmm. they don't they live a long life. They do they have a good memory, and they that's do. why they make them very hard to hunt. You get a twenty mm-hmm. plus year old grizzly bear, 
he didn't grow up being dumb. No, you know, so they're extremely smart. You're it's a it's such a quality hunt too, and it's a it's thought, a good booster. Yeah, I thought Jim Shockey had an excellent write up after that woman and her baby were killed up in the Yukon. Yeah, um, pointing out. I don't want to say pointing the finger at the government, but showing that they're trying to do everything in their power to stay within the rules and the laws and stuff and shoo off the bear instead of putting down the problem bear. Mm -hmm. And he said he knew that this was a problem bear. It was in his area. It had raided their cabins more than once. And, but they were still advised to leave it alone and stuff. And and he felt somewhat responsible that he didn't put that bear down. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was, it, his letter was very it, it resonated and really mm-hmm. made you think that mm-hmm. yep. that woman and her, her baby could have been alive could be alive today absolutely. had they put down the problem bear absolutely yeah. and a, like I say a problem bear isn't a bear when you come upon a moose kill in the bush and a bear gives you the runaround that's not a problem bear it's just protecting it's, that's right it's mm-hmm. kill but yeah. when it starts becoming habitual to diff, different things or you know they can be very aggressive like in the territories oh, yeah. I mean they're, they're a different they level. are they are on a like I'd take any bear around here ten times over one of those bears up there. Fist fight with a grizzly. They 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 play for keeps no matter what. There is no there's no bluff. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. there is no bluff. I mm-hmm. mean a lot of you know bears around here. Yeah, they've had lots of human interaction. Yeah. They remember you know yeah. potentially different things and and they've been uh, hunted and they've been hunted. That's a different a huntable bear a hunted bear and a non-hunted bear act completely different. Especially twenty years of not hunting. Yeah. Right. They've developed a a completely different strategy based on us. Right. So, yeah. and um, like Greg was saying, like the bear the our bears here are they're probably twice as big as the Arctic bears we get in the Northwest Territories. Wow. But but those bears are twice as nasty. Aggressive. Basically. Um, this a lot of it is the growing season too. So sep- September up here, everything's still lush. September up there, everything's frozen and dead. And those bears go from eating berries to eating meat. They still they're still gonna go to bed probably about the same time our bears do. Yep. But their food run out, and they've just gotten to the point of they're they, like they, wolves. They, yeah, they follow they follow us. Or they don't necessarily follow us, but they know. They know the the places where we are hunting moose and caribou at that time, yep. and that's that's where that's where we have all of our bear problems. Seldom in sheep country and sheep season do we ever have bear problems. Yep. And all of a sudden September comes around and they turn into assholes overnight. Basically, they're just out of food, and yeah. you seem like the easier meal. Following oh, you yes. guys, well, our moose are the easier meal, right? Yeah, absolutely. Our caribou gut piles are the easier meal. Yeah, um, and that's just. Yeah, like I know when after after our hunter got killed, um, the RCMP went out to um, to try to dispatch the bear or whatever. There was I believe there was three different grizzly bears on on that moose kill. Yeah. So they phoned and were like, basically they needed a mugshot as to what bear did it, you know? Yeah. And uh, you know three three grizzly bears on a moose in twenty four hours <laughs> with a you know after one of them's killed somebody like yeah. that's a that's a that's a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. And how do you identify that one bear if there's um, so I think, many coming in and yeah, chewing there on was it? a I, the bear that did it was a for the area was a big old dark okay. kind of boar and yeah. uh, we, they were able to identify it and they did get the right bear, but good. Um, yeah, and then I mean the following year, um, I mean that bear that bear came in on a moose kill, so you kind of realize why he did it the following year was a bow hunter and a guide 
sitting on a knob glassing down in the bottoms for moose yeah and they literally looked behind them and there was a grizzly bear like 10 yards away like this jumps oh. on the hunter they tumble down the hill and once they got done tumbling the bear's on top of the hunter the guide shoots it off the hunter staggers off into the bush so that that bear was completely predatory there was no dead moose there was no nothing yeah i don't know why that bear did that it yep. seemed like a reasonably healthy bear too it wasn't like it was starving sick and its yep. teeth were falling out like that bear in the yukon was right yeah this was uh this was one of those ones where you can't really explain it so yeah yeah but so the i've been affected by grizzly bears to answer your question <laughs> <laughs> no kidding yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know you're not guiding in BC, but you live in BC. You were mm -hmm. born and raised in BC. Mm -hmm. Do you think the grizzly bear ban right now, ban on hunting, is is realistic because of numbers of bears? Or absolutely not. When I when I was a kid growing up, and probably everyone here can attest to it, I remember like going out with my dad, and like if you seen a grizzly bear or your neighbor seen a grizzly bear, it was like, man, we seen a grizzly bear today. Yep. That was insane, man. And for example, like south of Tumblr here is probably probably one of the densest grizzly bear populations in the province. And yep. my nephew had a tag there about three years ago. <clears throat> and honest to God, we, I see I took him out. We seen fifteen grizzly bears in one day. <laughs> That's ridiculous. 15. Also, I'll add, we never seen a caribou. We never seen a moose. We never seen an elk. And probably nor will we, right? With yep. numbers like that. So yep. grizzly bears today, at least at least in my lifetime, there's. There's way, way more grizzly bears today than there ever was, at least in my lifetime. Yep. Before that, I can't speak for yeah. that, but yeah. um, the numbers are, are there. They're and they're, they're province-wide. There's, there's yeah. grizzly bears in oat fields now, right, yeah. locally. That never happens, right? They're, yeah. they're absolutely everywhere. Yeah. yeah, right through into Alberta. I mean, yeah. it, they're, mm -hmm. they're pouring out yeah. everywhere, mm -hmm. which, I mean, so utilize that resource. We have an abundance. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's renewable. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. sustainable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's easy to manage. Yeah, you know, they're harvesting boars in general. Yeah, you're, you're not, you know, so you you have this carryover, but again with caribou collapse and and moose numbers plummeting and things like that, I mean they've seen it with the wolf situation, you know, based on the caribou. Yeah, they've seen it bolster up. They also see the moose numbers are pounding up behind it too, so they mm -hmm. know that predators have a key role in this. Yeah, and mm -hmm. bears don't just eat grass. Good news is bears sleep for the winter, gives the ungulates a little bit of a break, mm -hmm. but the wolves take over after mm -hmm. that, yeah. right? So. Mm -hmm. But the, like the age of the bear, what Greg touched on earlier, how old they live, like you, now, I mean, when you see calf moose um, up in the up in the northwest corner where we doll sheep hunt and grizzly bear hunt, you can actually watch moose calve. It's it's a really awesome place to witness all this. And I mean, moose moose like cows will go in the nastiest places to places that you'd have to you'd need a snorkel kit to get to <laughs> and that's where they're dropping their calves now and it's to get away from bears but you take a bear that's like a big old boar can be 20 years old right yeah he knows he's played this game before and yeah. whereas a maybe a five or six year old wolf he's probably not going to kill as many moose calves yeah. as, a, as a 20 year old boar that's they're dialed he, in. He, exactly. He knows where those islands are on those rivers, those marshy flats where no other animal's going to go other than a cow moose and one week period of the year. And yeah, that's where that bear is, man. Yep. I've, I've seen it on the rivers. Extremely like, smart. Coming down the rivers. Extremely smart. And just seeing the predator, like, mm. you know, different times at wolves when, when the scale was just way out of control. I remember coming down with Rod one day and in a 45-minute boat ride, 
we come across nine different wolves in, in spread out areas. And then we come into the, then grizzly bears just crossing the rivers, just one after the other. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was predator super highway. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the elk were down on the river and that was at that sweet spot where there was calves getting dumped. Yeah. And I mean, it was a smorgasbord. Everything mm-hmm. in the country it looked like the salmon run was going up the mm-hmm. northern river. There were so many predators mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. And and that area has had, at the time, one permit for a grizzly bear. And, I mean, like I say, on a hunt. One grizzly. One grizzly. That's it. Yeah. And That's on a it. typical hunt, even, you know, from a, from a flying hunt that Wayne and I did here last year, from our one camp, and that's just looking at hillside A to hillside B, call it our base camp. Yep. We've seen 14 different grizzlies in a nine-day period. Wow. Mm-hmm. Plus, well, black bear, but he was on the move because those grizzlies were going to lick him up. <laughs> and uh, basically, no moose down in the lowland really at that time. The only things around occurred in the high mountains. The mm-hmm. goats were fine. The sheep were fine. Mm-hmm. But everything in the middle, they pay the price. I mean, mm-hmm. the... the the mountain critters can get away from them, but mm-hmm. everything else kind of has to live in their realm, right? So politically, if you guys, I, I, neither of you are in politics or going into it or, or anything, but if you, ha- <clears throat> sorry, could say something to the politicians, would you recommend uh, getting back into limited entry grizzly hunts or just an open season? What what's There's no way... As much as it would be awesome to have an open season, there's yep. no way it's ever going to happen, especially especially in British Columbia. It's not yep. going to happen. Yep. Um, I, I mean, realistically, an LEH is all we're ever going to have. I would like to see, it w- ideally, if we had our LEH back and probably our quota doubled compared to what it was. Because yep. like I say, like a lot of these grizzly-infested areas, we had, you know, one to, one to two bears a year come yep. out of, right? Whereas... Yep. We, we should probably have five or six, right? So yep. that, that's and, uh, as good as we're going to get. As much as open would be great, it'll it'll never happen. No. So it's not even anything to try to push for, really. Right. The only yep. way you could have an open zone is in an area that was so remote that it limited access, essentially. Yeah. But yeah. And that's not the case. The thing about having a limited entry hunt is that at least I have the chance to pursue one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I put my name in the hat. If I'm successful, great. Yeah. But there's opportunity, and those opportunities, again, with limited entry or any hunting, it's not a guarantee. They might issue 10 bear permits in an area, and they're hoping to kill two. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, uh, again, based on the numbers and the harvesting, every grizzly killed gets compulsory reported, everything yeah. else. So everything is measured to the T. Yeah. If, again, if a situation where a quota is enlisted in an area where they say it's a general open season until we hit a quota of 20 bears, that works too. Yep. So everybody can hunt those 20 bears. Some people will be successful, some won't. When they hit that number 20, which is their scientific cutoff point of, say, boars, yep. then it's cut off. They send out basically just like an Alberta on a cougar thing. You check the site. And if it's getting close to the number, yeah, you, that's done. Yep. Quota's over. Mm-hmm. And then you can continue on. But, yeah, like I say, LEH would be a, a fantastic thing because it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gives opportunity. And you can increase and decrease over year to year, too. If you see that the numbers Instantly. are, yeah. you can just, yeah. boom, Absolutely. done. Yeah. yeah. 
and Too I mean, many if, sows get killed. You can you can adjust that yeah. like right now, right? So yeah, yeah, it's it's great. They That's have what we the power need. to yeah. do it, yeah. and and why not? I mean, I find even within BC, I find that the fact that our regulations are posted two years in advance, yeah. like two years, a lot can happen in two years, mm-hmm. and you we've get seen a, it. We've a seen crushing winter, yeah. And then you have a very liberal season still attached, mm-hmm. based on a population that was sound now, yep. collapsed yep. during a massive winter die-off, and then you put the added pressure. And most hunters, like localized hunters, they pull the reins back yep. on their own. They know that the deer, yep. for instance, are in trouble. They rein it back. But someone from outside the local areas, yep. say traveling up, they have no idea really what they're coming up what for a general open like. season. They have no idea what they're coming into yep. if they haven't had intelligence telling them like, hey, don't bother coming out deer hunting because there are none. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if there are any, just leave them alone because we need some carryover, right? Yeah. And to be more interactive in that way, and I think they people manage far more than they game manage in that sense, right? Yeah. So it's cheaper and easier to build a two-year uh, basis on, you know, on speculation. Yep. No, it should be assessed yearly. And adjusted accordingly. Yeah. No one's going to complain. The hunting opportunities are there. You'll have a lot more complaints if, if there's been massive die-offs and people are still, you know, hunting them aggressively, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Collapsing your population, with no reason to. Yep. Yeah. So, so with these, bear attacks that have happened in your camps and and things like that, um, I want to ask you a couple of gear-related questions. So. Mm-hmm. With those fears, I hear customers come into the store and, and say, I want a light gun, but I also want a big caliber gun. Um, what are your thoughts on, do you need the biggest caliber out there because you might run into that eight-foot grizzly that wants to eat your face? Or do you focus on your sheep hunting, let's focus on getting you a sheep caliber, and, and tell me a little bit about your thoughts. Yeah, I would, f- I mean, you, you can't base your hunt around the slim possibility of a grizzly bear chewing your face off right yeah if that happens like yeah you might as well buy a lottery ticket because it's not going to happen it might happen but um your sheep hunt's going to be way more successful if you have a mid-range gun that you're comfortable with and i mean greg touched on it earlier the only way i would say to decipher off of that is if you were doing some sort of a combo hunt if you're if you're hunting with us and you got um, like Joe Loomis, for example, is coming to do a hunt with me on the third hunt. He's got a sheep tag. He's also got a grizzly bear tag. So for him, if he said, hey, uh, you know, should I bring my 6.5 or my 300? Maybe in his case, I'd say, yeah, bring your 300, right? Yeah. You have a really good chance of getting both. He wants to kill both, right? Yeah. That's what he's up there for. But if you're, like for yourself, Aaron, you're going sheep hunting in a week, you, you're sheep hunting. Yeah. You don't have a goat tag. You don't have a moose tag. So bring your sheep gun yeah. and uh, everything else will sort itself out. Like if a grizzly bear is charging you is a, I don't know, is a six, five or is a 300 going to make the difference in you being alive or not? Probably not. Right. right. So I, I think absolutely base your sheep hunt out of uh, on a sheep hunting rifle. So yep. yeah, that's where no, I, I stand. Agree the, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Nothing's big enough when something's running you down. Yeah. But the fact is, you're there to sheep hunt, bring the gun you're going to shoot the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be lighter, more comfortable, and you yeah, just better off. It's going to be shorter, easier to smash through the brush. It's more durable in that yeah. sense. I mean, yeah. stack if the deck in your favor toward what you're doing yeah. instead mm-hmm. of 
fear. Don't fear. base it off mm-hmm. fear. Base fear, it off a if realistic. You're, if you're that worried about getting mauled by something, you you stay home. Yeah. Probably shouldn't be there. Absolutely. No. Yeah. And, and for me, hunting, like yeah, and I sheep hunting interactions. I mean, I think <clears> all the different things. My grizzly interactions usually are on that mid range stuff. You know, from brush line up. Mm-hmm. Once you're in the top. Usually you see the bears, yeah. But they're doing their thing, especially in August. The feed is good. They're not. They're digging up marmots and farting around like that. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. You. I say I, I'm quite relaxed yep. when I'm sheep hunting as far as bears go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got a bunch of dead stuff laying around camp. Yeah. Take care of it. Yep. You know, Things like that. I mean, obviously that sense around now. Yeah. But usually once you have something killed like a sheep, you're getting get home itis because weather's hot. Yeah. You got to move that meat. You got to get things going. So you're not really leaving. You're not sitting around camp with a with meat for a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, putting a calling sign out there, right? Yeah. You're gonna kill it, move it to camp, eat a bunch, cape everything out, deal with it, bone it down, bag it good. Yeah. And then you're leaving. You're moving. Yep. Mm-hmm. Makes um, sense. You can't stick around. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's October, sure. Meat's going to stay because it'll be frozen. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was out shooting last night, shooting the gun that uh, John's got me set up with, and it's a 280 Ackley Improved in a, a Kimber Hunter. Mm-hmm. Threw a Swarovski 3.5 to 18 on it, and he's working up a load for it and everything. And Without the muzzle brake, we, we're going without the brake, and it kicks like a mule. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in it's, comparison. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It's yeah. amazing yeah. what a 5.5-pound yeah. gun yeah. does in a fairly mild... Well, 280 Ackley is no slouch. I mean, it's no. right on the heels of 7 Mag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so as an all-purpose gun, I mean, I'd shoot anything on planet Earth with that. Yeah. Right? That would be a great combo gun if somebody came up to do a sheep moose caribou with us. Yep. Something like that would be probably awesome. Yeah. And if they came up to do a just a sheep, I would be like 6'5", 270, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yep. That's way better. Um, like another, like I have a, well, Greg built me a 264 Win Mag and... Last year, um, last year I got two animals by myself. I can also, I mean, I can follow the, I can follow that bullet's impact by yep. myself. I had a 264 as well. Yeah. With a Husqvarna. They're I wicked. loved that guy. They're wicked. Yeah. If I had a 300 by myself shooting a sheep and a goat, I'm probably, you know, if I hit it, great. But if I didn't, man, yeah. that thing's booting me all over the place. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to see where I'm hitting either. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm a super fan of a mid-range gun, especially if you're, you're usually hunting with somebody and a lot of times you have two guns if you do have a bear problem. So yeah, yeah, I would never base, I would never base my caliber choice on a, yeah. on a speculation. Yeah. No yeah. way. Here to hunt sheep. Yep. Let's hunt sheep, man. Any yeah. other gear, uh, information that you would put out there for anyone getting into it? Um, mm-hmm. we had a little discussion the other night about optics mm-hmm. and the importance of optics and mm-hmm. stuff. So what are your thoughts on and we don't have to get deep into gear and stuff, mm-hmm. but if you had a couple suggestions on what to bring. Mm-hmm. My uh, my gear consensus is super to the point. So I'm I'm not a gear fanatic one bit. Um, I've also been super lucky just working in this industry. I've gotten most of the clothing and boots and that sort of thing I've got by hunters giving it to me as tips or whatever. So I don't. I don't really endorse um, anybody's gear. Basically, the the best way I can endorse or talk about gear is to to break down the amount of time you spend using each piece of gear, yeah. and that ultimately should be where you spend your money, right? So, um, for me, yeah, like we talked about it the other night, and I would spend 
I would spend way more on my binos than I would on my on my sheep rifle, especially as um, especially like for yourself, a resident Aaron, hunter. Yeah. for a resident hunter, a resident hunter versus going to the territories. Like we have we have rams where that I've guided where like you literally look at them once and you're like, holy shit! Like you yeah. don't have to look at them again. That's that's how big they are, right? They're yeah. they're six inches over their nose. <laughs> they got rings stacked in their base. We don't have. We do have sheep like that still in BC, but it's it's really hard. A lot of a lot of the sheep we take, a lot more rams we're we're taking on age. Um, we're having to get super close to to verify their legality, right? So yep. the likelihood of us you coming know, into a stop, yeah, the likelihood of us and likelihood of us shooting a ram at seven eight hundred yards in BC is way less oh. than than it is in the Northwest Territories. Like I've had a few hunters kill rams in the in the 600 650 kind of range and in bc like i say unless unless that ram is so obviously legal like we're we're probably not going to run into that so so for me like as far as a a gun goes like i would i would make sure a gun is i think weatherproof is is 100 percent what you need to have yeah and and i think you know accuracy repeatability that sort of thing and then for all your other gear, I would just break it down as to as to where you use it. Like what your your boots are on your feet the entire time you're hunting. Yep. You need good boots. Yep. Um, optics, man. Um, the hardest part about the hardest part about sheep hunting to me is finding sheep. When you find when you find <laughs> the sheep or the ram that you're after, that's the hardest part. Yep. From there, um, Sheep are not like whitetails, right? They're they they have good eyes, they have good noses, but they're not they're not like whitetails as far as their senses go. So if you find them, you have a really good chance of of getting that ram. Like if you find them, especially in the territories, like if I find a ram, I like I instantly relax because I'm like I'm gonna get you. <laughs> yeah. Like I got him, you know. Okay, so the wind's wrong now. He's in on the skyline. You just wait. You yep. wait. He, and he you makes got a eyes mistake. on him, right? So you can you wait. Watch he him. makes a mistake, and you can get him. It's a little different in BC, where or Alberta, wherever Alaska, where you have more hunting pressure. You got to worry about is anybody else watching this round? Yeah, right. It's a little more. Not saying press the panic button, but but the hunting tactics are a little bit different. So someone might beat you to that round that you've been watching for the last. Yeah, three don't hours. spend an extra day watching it to yeah. pattern it. No, right? you're gonna no. make a move. You might move in the dark to get up near it for morning you know to, mm-hmm. to crush that Shut, distance yeah. and get ready mm-hmm. find them first light they wake up get them in a feed pattern and then watch them bed down and then yeah, get on them, them yeah. right come up and yeah and get them yeah and you know morning or evening playing those thermal lines or whatever figuring out what's going on and yeah. oh yeah no it i wouldn't say the pressure never seems to turn off for me when you're until it's on the ground yeah but mm-hmm. you do like for instance, goats. Oh yeah, you spot a goat, you're like, "Yep, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna wait you out. I'll get to where I want to be, and pretty soon you're gonna make a mistake, and we're gonna get you." Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those things. Sheep, yeah, I have a little more apprehensive about, of course, because you're, it's, it took you so long to find it. I'm always kind of like, mm-hmm. you're always on the edge, but again, mm-hmm. you're a lot more relaxed, like you say. Yeah, I, I instantly change. So I think. I think that's why optics are just extremely important. And I mean, you can spend a lot of money on gear when you're when you're starting out, but you maybe don't necessarily need to. Like a lot of the stuff that Greg and I have, I mean, we've accumulated over 
a lifetime of sheep hunting, right? Yeah. We didn't start. We didn't start year one with five grand yeah or more right of of gear like you don't even know if you're gonna like sheep hunting yet right you gotta you gotta kind of wet your feet so things like things like boots are super important um backpacks super important i think rain gear is important but i think as far as like if if it's sunny out what kind of clothes you should wear i i don't think it i honestly hardly think it matters like if i have a heavy pack with a sheep on the way out, I'm probably gonna burn that crap, right? Yeah. So it it honestly, I wear probably I wear, gonna burn it like every I'm time. I'm gonna burn yeah. it. Yeah, I'm gonna. That burn t-shirts it. done. Yeah. That pair of socks done. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Drop five pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's you know? really good things to spend your money on, and uh, I think I think Steve Isdall had a good post on that basically, and he was talking about the same stuff, like where you should where you should spend your money, and basically like what can what can make or break your hunt you know like if you're if your boots fall apart and your feet are full of blisters like honestly unless you're ex- the toughest guy i know your sheep hunts over man yeah like that's it you're done yeah you know if yeah. you're if your tent rips in the wind like it's things like that it's it's hard to it's hard to recover hard from to that so, yeah um, yeah just that guy we ran into when we were hunting last year uh with yeah you. a bighorn honey he went up he went up on top of a ridge that's notoriously ridiculous Windy. for wind yeah Gets up there with a said tent name, and we met him down on the bottom, hiding in the the shadows, basically. Mm-hmm. His tent just got thrashed. <laughs> yeah. And he had it duct taped up and this and that mm-hmm. done, but, I mean, if it's a wet time or whatever, yeah. well, yeah, sure. Ultimately, you can survive anything. But ultimately, he didn't <laughs> get around. Nope. He was yeah. done. You know, that, 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 shut was, him a, off that right was a bit of a deal breaker right there. So yeah. that that's kind of... That's my consensus on gear. How much time you're going to spend using it and where you should spend your money. Boots and optics, I think, are super important and yeah. and everything else kind of has a has, has a, a place. falling order down from there. And, and the season. What type absolutely, of season? I mean, absolutely. You can get away with a lot of stuff in August. I mean, worst case scenario, you get snowed on, but two days later, it'll be 30 above. Yeah. And if you yeah. can't survive two days of miserableness... That's uh, mm-hmm. you get packing, yeah. Because uh, no, I I laugh. I think of the different stories about. I mean, I've went through a few tents, and uh, mm-hmm. leaky tents, and stories to go along with that. I mean, to the point where we had a little trough dug in the tent. We'd take turns bailing it out. That's how <laughs> bad it leaked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To the point where we killed a ram later on in that hunt, and a big storm just rolling over the. The mountains beside us and we're working this ram down and it's about six o'clock at night and it's coming hard just get the ram dealt with hit camp straight up and down like this throw a tent up fall asleep by the next morning there was 10 gallons of water pooled up in the bottom of the tent where i just rolled over grabbed a knife cut the bottom of the tent <laughs> open to let the water out like that's how bad it was yeah, yeah. but wrung the sleeping bag out loaded that ram up all smiles man yeah Mm-hmm. felt like burning that tent on the spot but mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. be it i yeah. mean and that was just so much weather on a tent that can't take it mm-hmm. and then it just got to its it used to be fairly dry and then it got to its breaking point where it just you might as well had it been in a screen hut yeah mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. but kept the wind off you good enough mm-hmm. yeah 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 that's funny yeah and that's and about guns too like i know up north there, you're always telling me a story about uh, the time where, yeah, Hunter had a big caliber gun, and you guys got moving on a moose, and he's like, yeah, geez, 
you know, it's a little little far, and he was apprehensive to kill him with your gun, and, you know, probably one of the best moose you've ever killed, eh? Yeah. Yeah, tell yeah. me about that. That was... Yeah, so I had a... It, well, it was, it was the best moose I've ever got. It was with a return hunter. Uh, hunted with him before. Phenomenal guy. And it was just one of those... I can almost tell this is the one of those amazing stories for me, because we... Um, the year before this is, this was a spot, it's, it's on the kind of the far edge of our area. And this is, this was the spot where our hunter got killed by the grizzly bear. And this yeah. was a spot, although I wasn't guiding it, I was kind of there on sort of the, uh, rescue kind of recovery mission. So this area kind of had, it had a special place in my heart and I wanted to, I just wanted to make this area right for our, the sake of our, for everybody. Yeah. Cause it was a, it was a hard year what we went through. And so this hunter came in, Mike, uh, return hunter, great guy. And he's like, you know, where do you want to hunt, Nate? And I was like, I want to go to the headwaters of the Caribou Cry, and I want to get dropped off right where this happened, and we're going to hunt, and that's what we're going to do. And during the flight over there, it's about an hour and a half flight. It's a long ways away. We probably flew over, I would say, six six to ten moose that are 60 plus inches i've never never in my life have has this ever happened to me before yeah and stan's like what about that one you guys i could land on that gravel bar like do you guys want that one and i kind of looked at mike and he's like no let's keep going to your spot nate let's keep going to your spot and a couple of these things were ridiculous like the last couple were like okay mike this is like (laughs) mid 60s like are you sure like Let's go to my spot, and I think the last time Stan's like, you guys are crazy. You guys are crazy, but oh well. Okay. So we go to our spot. We land. Kind of right where we landed, there was a yeah, kind of a mediocre bull and some cows, and it was probably the smallest moose that we had just flown over. So we're <laughs> kind of like, okay, well, whatever. Okay. And uh, the next day, we start moose hunting. Um, we've seen a couple decent moose. And then we seen this one moose that was kind of uh, maybe maybe 60 inches, but not a not a big moose. I didn't want to shoot it. My hunter kind of did, and uh, he was a long ways away anyway. And uh, then the weather socked in. The next morning we wake up, and I was like, Mike, I'm just gonna just gonna kind of roll over the hill from the tent and just have a quick peek. Couldn't see anything. That moose that Mike wanted was 200 yards from our tent. I came back. I. And Mike said, you see anything? No, not a thing. <laughs> Didn't see one Didn't at all. Didn't see anything. Nope. Didn't even tell him about it because I knew we were going to kill this moose. And this just, it wasn't the moose that we, that I wanted out yeah. of this as for myself, for the outfit, for everything. I just was like, this is one of those, this is one of those moments where we're going to kill. We're going to get something really special. Yeah. And that moose ended up, I mean, it was 200 yards away. I knew exactly what he was. Basically, I watched him for 10 minutes, although I didn't tell Mike that. And it walked across the valley. The weather cleared later in the day, and we're watching that moose. And then all of a sudden, over the hill comes these two big sheets of plywood. And this moose absolutely dwarfed the one that was right by our tent. <laughs> and I was like, Mike's like, like, how big is that thing? And I'm like, it's, it's huge, man. We don't even know. Like grab your shit let's go yeah it was so far away like we couldn't get it within a day of our camp so i had my little backpack tent we took off after the moose um long story short i ended up completely botching the stock basically all of our stuff we kill is you get above them 
shoot below them. Pretty much that's how we kill yeah. 90% of our game. It doesn't matter if it's sheep, moose, whatever. Yeah. We ended up, I ended up for some reason thinking it was a good idea. I can weasel up this draw on the bottom. Ended up botching the stock. The moose kind of saunters out. And he's sitting there at 400 yards. And Mike's like, I can't shoot 400 yards. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, are you serious? You can't shoot 400 yards? He's got just a 338 with a 3 to 9 scope. And uh, this was one of those now or never moments. And yeah. I had my 270 with me with a little Huskama. Just literally pulled it out of my pack. That was 270 you've had forever. Forever. Like, put a stock on it. Yeah, kind of forever. Like, it's just a total bread and butter yeah. gun. Mike laid down 400 yards. You sure, Nate? I'm like, man, you will. This like this thing's It's like hitting a sheet of plywood. And this gun shoots. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. He shot the moose three times, literally like this at 400 yards wailed that thing we went up there and i mean the moose was just like it was way way bigger than i thought it was it was, yeah, yeah. It was 74 inch moose it was it had like 54 inch pans lengthwise <laughs> right there's a picture of me standing with the moose sideways and the thing looks like it's a foot higher than me because it is <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's do you do you have these pictures like can yeah. i get you to send them to yeah, Greg absolutely and we'll, we'll get, absolutely throw them up for yeah. everyone to see absolutely awesome yeah, yeah. That's one of my great stories about a great hunting story mixed with a small caliber. Yeah. 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 Biggest moose you ever shot. And you, yeah. Bring a big gun and shoot it with a midget a gun. 270, 130 grain Sierra <laughs> Game King. That's what it was. Nice. It's yep. the only thing that shot out of my gun. Yep. And it worked. And it's piled it up so much oh, game, it's not yeah. even funny. Yeah. I mean, the list is deep and long. Mm -hmm. From elk to moose. You shot even bears with that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Play everything. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. No, it's funny how you know, you overthink of it, but put it where it counts, and yeah. they're mm -hmm. all tipping over. Yeah, yeah. hard yeah. to live without air. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seventy-four inches, eh? Like just ridiculous. Yeah, that's got awesome. us all beat by a long shot. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and your hunter, he's massive. Yeah, he's, he's a six, super tall he's guy. Six foot too. two, and the moose is so sideways, is over his head, right? Like, hmm. it's a cool picture. Yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah. Look forward to seeing it. Yeah, unreal. And so to, to kind of wrap things up, um, what inspires you or who inspires you? Let's get into your heroes in the industry or your inspiration. Tell us a little bit about them. I have, I have two people who I'm going to mention. Um, for me, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm inspired by just real people and just really humble people that... Um, the, the first guy is, is Wayne Selby from the Kootenays. He, he guided for Stan for 20 years. Um, when I first started guiding, Wayne was, Wayne was still guiding at, I think he was about 65, 67, somewhere in there, still guiding sheep to boot. Right. Yeah. So he's one of those guys that, um, although I didn't really get to personally hunt with him per se, I did a couple of caribou hunts out of camp cause we don't really our hunts are one-on-one. -on -one. I don't, even if I got the legend there guiding someone else, unfortunately, I don't get to hunt with him personally. Yeah. So yeah. all I can do is kind of be around him, soak it all in, listen to everything he has to tell me. Yeah. And uh, actually, this year I was down cat hunting in the Kootenays. Wayne lives in Cranbrook. I stopped in for a visit. Uh, Wayne's one of these guys. He's not, he's not on social media. He's just, he hunts for what I think are the, just the purest reasons. And, uh, I knew he, I knew he'd taken a lot of Rams for himself, but I didn't really realize it. 
and we go downstairs into his trophy room and it's a small room it's smaller than my living room and he's got 23 rams <laughs> in this room it's like rams stacked on top of rams doll sheep bighorn sheep uh stone sheep and it's just like wow you know in a lifetime of guiding you know he's he's guided over 100 rams yep. he's taken 20 some rams for himself and um he's just he's a huge inspiration to me and and one thing that i look at when when i think of a good sheep hunter i think is a i think is somebody that's a versatile sheep hunter um for yourself Aaron, like you're you're getting you're just starting to get into it um if you would have got into it maybe 10 years earlier it would have been easier i'm not gonna lie (laughs) but when you go to the northwest territories or the yukon i can't even i can't even describe how much easier and how much better the sheep hunting is there's there's just not the pressure that we have here. There's not, there's more sheep. There's, um, so there's a lot of people that have done extremely well guiding and hunting in Northwest Territories and then come down to BC and I mean, they can't even get a mountain goat, right? Yeah. And so I have, I kind of have a, almost a red flag going off and Wayne's, Wayne's one of these guys that he's, it doesn't matter what the situation, what he was hunting, he found success in every aspect of sheep hunting because doll sheep hunting stone sheep hunting bighorn they're all similar but they all have very diff big differences in them right bighorns are spend a lot a huge part of their life in the timber right they move more than doll sheep they move more than stone sheep doll sheep are way more habitual so for somebody like him to be successful in all of those realms of sheep hunting wherever you throw them you throw them here you throw them there and every time he's got a dead ram on his back and it's a good one and and i'm just like he's just always had my respect for that yeah Yeah. and i guess the second guy i would i would touch on is a guy so uh, probably it's probably about seven years ago me and my brother uh went ibex hunting over in kyrgyzstan which is something i would recommend to anybody by the way but we the guide i had was incredible one of those one of those people that's just amazing amazing abilities amazing at what he did and the guide my brother had was just like your kind of average run-of-the-mill guide that every outfitter's got five too many of those ones right and not enough of the good ones right so this dude i had um i got paired with them and i mean i got i got all the best gear money can buy over there i had the new swarovski eel rangefinder binos this guy had these ancient old like um russian military optics i looked through them like i couldn't see anything through these things like they were (laughs) complete shit yeah and he's wearing rubber boots right he's got he's is nothing these are extremely extremely poor people and he's spotting everything and usually when I go hunting with people, I usually outspot them. That's kind of, that's, that's my niche. That's my jam. Yeah. And this guy, I couldn't, like, he was just lighting me up with the optics, <laughs> right? He spotted a Marco Polo ram. We could literally see this much of the sheep's lamb tip on, yeah. on a hillside like this, right? He's like, Marco Polo, and, the, and he can't speak English. So all he can say is big, shoot. And Marco Polo and Ibex, right? Those are the four words in his wheelhouse. Yeah. Oh, and hungry, he did. He does this. <laughs> yeah. Are you hungry, right? So th- yeah. this is our limited vocabulary. Yeah. But this guy's ability, and I mean, I, I take good care of myself. I'm super fit. And another, th- like this guy is, 
chewing up the mountain and I'm just like, I'm like, this guy, how does he do it? He's, in gumboots. He's in gumboots. He's 50 yeah. years old. He's got a dart hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> he's got the worst binoculars. I Like, I looked through them. I almost got a migraine instantly, yeah. right? Yeah. And this guy was just he, another one of these guys that's just super humble, led by example. Um, Chinebeck was his name. He barely said anything. But when whenever he did say something... He would be sitting around camp. The outfitter would be gabbing. All the other guides are blabbing, which is common in any hunting camp. And yep. this guy just sat there. And when he talked, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody just completely shut up, listened to everything he had to say. And although he was just a guide, he was he was the, absolutely the alpha male of that hunting camp. Yep. And he's just somebody that's... I, I always thought to myself, how many people how many other people are like that out there that yeah. you, you don't hear of because of because they just hunt because they love hunting they're not they're not into promoting themselves they're not superstars yeah. they're just like and I, I those are just two people for me that you know that unfortunately social media has a way of twisting things as to who's who's the best sheep hunter and yeah and and i don't honestly know who the best sheep hunter is yeah. and i don't even care to be honest with you because every like i was telling you every every aspect of sheep hunting is different a bighorn guide his job is a hundred times harder to get around than a doll sheep guide most yeah. of us doll sheep guides two three days we're back at camp caping our rams and drinking beer and those guys their hunts barely begun like they're still catching horses and trailing in they probably haven't even seen a sheep yet like they're it's it's completely apples and oranges so yeah. um th those are just two people that have just sort of overcome a lot of adversity that they just they've they've stuck with me they're ingrained in me and i and they always will be they're two of my biggest inspirations in, mm. in the hunting world so sounds like great guys to look up absolutely to. Yeah. yeah and learn a lot from absolutely yeah, yeah. four words but good words. <laughs> That's all you need. Big shoot. Big right? shoot. Hungry. Um, Marco Polo and Ibex. That's it, man. That's it. Yeah, everything else was Russian or whatever Kirby. he was telling me. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Nathan, for coming in. Thanks for having me, Aaron. No problem. This was an excellent second podcast. And uh, Yukon Peak Outfitters, he's got it on his hat. We'll put a link to their social media information um, along with that, but we will, like I say, we'll, we'll throw links up to Yukon Peak Outfitters and, uh, reach out to Nathan. If you look, looking to book a hunt next year, the year after, it's never too early to start booking. So, uh, shout out to Black Rifle Coffee Company Canada. And, uh, if you have any suggestions for any of our follow-up podcasts, please put them in the comments below and like, and follow us. Thanks for tuning in.